uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. being with people it's the most incredible thing in the world what are you doing oh this is nice that world may change and evolve but the one thing that will never change we're all part of one big family over there she's your sister higher further faster baby that's right we're all part of one universe that moves ever upward and onward to greater glory my fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of Planet 8, we're going to be discussing something that we are very thankful for this year. Uh, this is our Thanksgiving episode, and every year we uh, share with you, the listeners, something that is uh, very near and dear to our hearts, something that we're thankful for. And this year, we are thankful for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. Straight away, we'll kick it up to the satellite. Karen, take it away. Ah. Well, thank you, Larry. Um, you know, thinking about the, the MCU uh, takes me back to, to childhood and thinking about how we didn't have the MCU. These kids growing up nowadays, these young kids, uh, they don't know what it was like. You know, it's it's wonderful for these kids who have grown up and, you know, had always had, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, the Avengers. Um, but as a kid growing up, I always felt like, Marvel was so disadvantaged compared to DC, you know, like I remember like DC had all these cartoons on all the time. I always remember seeing like the old Superman cartoon. Batman had a bunch of different versions of cartoons. And of course, the live action show was on all the time. Even the Superman George Reeves show was on a lot. Right. You know, it was it was pretty much bupkis for Marvel for a long time, except the, <laughs> the uh, you know, pretty crappy semi animated, uh, you know, Grant Ray Lawrence and the Spider-Man cartoon was actually pretty good, but it was not, you know, shown that widely, or at least not in my, my area of, uh, California. And, uh, then when we did get live action, you know, I always say it, it was all we had, so we cherished it, but it wasn't, we knew it wasn't like, you know, true to the comics. It wasn't, you know, it didn't inspire that awe, you know, like Lou Ferrigno was a great guy, but, you know, you knew he didn't really look like the Hulk. You saw those little slippers on his feet when he was running around, and it was a little bit, you, you really had to use your imagination a lot. So I just never thought we would see the Marvel characters in film so 
well portrayed and so and some of the storylines we've gotten and and just like all the stuff you know that we loved as kids up there on the screen so uh that's that's just it, it always brings out that little kid in me when i see you know Captain America with his shield or Thor throwing his hammer, Iron Man flying across the screen. And and then to see some of the more obscure characters is just crazy. Now we've even got like the Eternals. So yeah, it's just been a real treat. Indeed. Chief. Yes. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed. I mean, I grew up when when I was a kid. I mean, obviously, I watched George Reeves Superman and I watched the Adam West Batman. Huge fan of Adam West as Batman. But when I got into comics and, you know, that was usually I got my hair cut and there was a uh, little smoke shop next door and my mom would take me in, buy me a comic book or whatever. But it was like pretty much Marvel. And I think a big thanks got has to go to that Spider-Man cartoon back in the 60s. <laughs> Loved that. And don't forget, Hanna-Barbera had a uh, Fantastic Four cartoon on back then. Oh, yeah. And uh, in fact, Race Bannon, the actor who did Race Bannon's voice, also did Mr. Fantastic. But um, yeah, so and of course, and, you know, for whatever reason, I did like all the Gantry Lawrence, um, you know, this basically the comic book panel sliding across the screen type animation. But um, maybe it was something it wasn't so much the animation or the shows. It was more the characters, I guess, that I gravitated to more. So, you know, say what you will about those old cartoons, but, you know, that they got a lot of kids interested in Marvel at the time. And, uh, yeah, growing up, you know, going through, like, probably through high school, shortly after high school, I kind of dropped the comics thing. But, yeah, I was reading Spider-Man, Iron Man, Thor, Marvel Team-Up, the whole, you know, the whole gamut. So I would never have dreamed that you would see all these characters in big budget movies on the big screen. Mm. And, you know, say what you will. I mean, some are better than others. But, you know, I just when I saw Iron Man, I'm like, oh, oh, man, Iron Man. They're doing Iron Man. You know, why didn't they start off with, you know, Captain America or Thor? So why Iron Man? And, you know, it worked. You know, Iron Man was sort of the cement of the first phase of the Marvel Universe. And really going into the second. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I say it many times, you know, if you would have told me back then when I was a little kid reading Marvel comics that a movie where Iron Man and Captain America were facing off would outgross a movie where Batman and Superman were facing off, I would have told you that you were crazy. But it happened, and it's happening, and, uh, you know, say what you want. I know Larry's a big fan of the DCEU, but, uh, I mean, Marvel, you know, started with Kevin Feige, and he had the vision, and all these movies have been intertwining, and one leads to another, and you may not even notice that they lead to one another, and sometimes you have to go back and watch some of the uh, earlier movies to catch the clues to later films. And uh, I think that's a whole whole different spectrum, a whole different uh, bit of fun that you can have with these movies is just when you go back and rewatch them, you're like, oh, wow, that scene foreshadowed something that happened over here. But I didn't realize it when that movie came out. Yeah, very good. Um, well, I, I agree with both of you guys. I mean, um, you know, in the dark ages where Ferrigno wore water socks and uh, the animated Marvel uh, cartoons barely moved. (laughs) Um, It it gave us something to look forward to. I was always a big fan of the comic books. And, you know, when I was a kid, there there was no collecting. Those things got rolled up and stuffed in my back pocket as I rode my my bike home. And the comics were at the, you know, little neighborhood grocery store on the swinging rack that rotated around and they were bent over and Mm -hmm. mixed up and you, you part of the fun was going in there and trying to figure out if you could find that prior issue that you didn't realize you needed to figure yeah, out yeah. what the man thing was doing with spider-man and the team up and anyway um it you know and, and let's not forget you know they had those made for tv movies we were talking about the captain america with the clear shield plastic shield <laughs> but you also had the hulk was like teaming up with weird awkward versions of thor and uh daredevil and daredevil yeah. That was, yeah um hey you know at the time that uh, uh the, the incredible hulk was on it was incredibly pardon the pun uh successful and and ran for a number of years um 
you know, it, it somehow kept the Marvel flame uh, ignited. They tried to do a Spider-Man TV show. They tried to introduce Thor and Daredevil in, in the Hulk series, but um, well, they actually did do the Spider-Man TV show. They, they did. But Don't they, forget Nicholas Hammond. Yeah, that's right. I'm still waiting right. to see him in uh, in Spider-Man No Way Home. You, you might. You have a better chance finding him in that uh, animated movie, The Spider-Verse. <laughs> I tell you, if he's not in there, but, I'm going to uh, be gravely disappointed. <laughs> um, hey, I, I remember going to Comic-Con when Iron Man, you know, was all a buzz. Oh, yeah. And, it, you know, just thinking, wow, they cast Robert Downey Jr. You know, he'd had so many trouble, uh, such so much trouble in his, his acting career uh, prior to that Iron Man. And, you know, part of Iron Man's story was the addiction to alcohol and struggling and this, that and the other. And it was like, wow, OK, Downey's going to really be able to <laughs> dive into this. Um do you remember yeah. uh, that auditorium going nuts? That was, I think, in 2007. And at first they showed a, a silly clip where they showed uh, part of the Iron Man cartoon. And everybody was like, what? And then they showed the clip from the Iron Man film where uh, he had built the the Mark I suit. Mm-hmm. And even that Mark I suit, people just went bananas seeing that you know and and i knew right at that point and then at the very end after they showed the mark one suit they just showed him in the red and gold flying by and and you know you knew at that point it was like oh they figured this out they figured out exactly nerdgasm (laughs) (laughs) look for me prior like bob had said i I love the dc growing up um i love the spider-man cartoon but if super friends was on and you know, I, I would turn on Super Friends with, with you know, no hesitation. Um, I love the Christopher Reeves Superman. I think that is one of the definitive superhero films even to this day. Um, but that Iron Man, I mean, you, you got to give Kevin Feige a lot of credit, but you got to give John Favreau. I mean, what he did with with the Iron Man character and his involvement in some of the other properties and, and what he's done with the Mandalorian. Oh, my God. I mean... Um, how things could have been so different. And, and let's not forget, too, we had before the MCU, there was the X-Men movies. Uh, Fox had the license for that. There was the Spider-Man films with uh, Tobey Maguire and, and, you know, w- which were very successful and, and good movies to, to this day. I still enjoy those. Uh, well, the first two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told uh, I told Michael uh, and some Michael that we were going to uh, binge our way through all the Spider-Man movies before the new one comes out. So that means oh, we have to watch all five of those plus yeah. the Tom Holland ones. So and there's well, some of those I haven't seen I- in a while. Yeah, yeah. Jazz and I started doing that as well. Um, whether or not we'll get into Tom Holland's adventures in the uh, in the other uh, Avenger films, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, but, think, um, I think it's going to be just all the solo Spider-Man movies. Mm, that's cool. Um, look, I, I, we were talking briefly about the Blade film before we uh, started uh, the podcast. That first movie was great. Still holds up today. Um, we won't really spend that much time on the Fantastic Four films. <laughs> Missed opportunities. <laughs> yeah, they had their little. Well, they had their little moments, and they were made to look so much better after that last Fantastic Four movie. That's a true statement, there, Bob. Um, I, I appreciate the second one with the Silver Surfer now a hell of a lot more after. Uh, I can't even think of the guy's name. Uh, God, that was just such a weird. Um, movie but um anyway iron man comes out it it wows us it one of the things when i watch these marvel films that i never really cause, you know when you read a book and even comic books you voice the character you you know when there's a clang or a, a crack sound you know you make that in your imagination for me it was great to hear iron man come down and land in that position in the second film and the iron go clink you know the the flying sound all these things that i didn't think of you know when iron man was flying in the comic book to think well what would that be like what would that sound like would there be a sonic boom um thor throwing his hammer what would Mjolnir sound like returning to his hand you know and that's why i i give them such credit 
it, it really is an experience going to see these films. Well, I mean, you have to figure that the people making the films grew up like us, reading the comics and making all those sounds in their minds. And so right. it's like, you know, if one of us made a movie, oh, I know what that's going to sound like. <laughs> and you, you know, bring your thoughts into reality. But, um, yeah, I mean, kind of going back to those Fantastic Four movies, they did give us one thing in the MCU. What's that? And that was Chris Evans. Oh, yeah, that's Chris right. Evans was a human torch, and he went on to be Captain America. And the beautiful thing, one of the beautiful things about the Marvel movies, the MCU movies, like you say, with Robert Downey Jr., but also with Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth or any of them, it's just the cast the casting of those characters, those matching those actors with the characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, who you can't see anyone else playing Captain America. I mean, yes, you know, Sam's becoming Captain America, but let's just say you can't see anyone else playing Steve Rogers in Captain America, or you can't see someone else playing Tony Stark at this point. It's kind of hard to, uh, you know, because like, how many Bonds have we had so far? Right. I don't know if you can do that with Tony Stark and you know, Steve Rogers and whoever else. I tell you, I'd have an easier uh, time with, with someone else being Steve Rogers or someone else being um, Thor. Uh, but Downey, uh, man, he just nailed it. And the other guys nailed it, too. Don't get me wrong. But I don't see how they could ever recast Tony Stark. It would have to be like 15 years from now. I mean, in my opinion. Well, and I think each of them brought something to the role that like like. Robert Downey Jr. just basically plays Tony Stark as Robert Downey Jr. I mean, (laughs) you know, if Robert Downey Jr. was, you know, a genius, um, he brought his personality to it. And and this is the thing. I mean, the, the movies definitely stray from the comics in a lot of ways, but they keep those key things that are essential to the characters. You know, I mean, the characters have changed over the years in a lot of different ways. So there, you know, you have to keep certain key, you know, character traits, but there's wiggle room in there for the actors to develop those characters or the writers to develop the characters, you know, in, in different ways. I, I do think some of the characters have gone pretty far astray from their original concepts, but those are characters like the, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Those are characters that even a lot of fans aren't familiar with. So they they can really play with them a lot. But, you know, when you get to those core characters like Captain America or Thor, you know, you, you want to have certain, you know, certain traits that fans are expecting. And I think they delivered on them. Although I can tell you, when I heard Chris Evans was cast, oh. I was like, how can that guy play I Captain know. America? He plays like goofballs and, yep. you know. <laughs> There's no way, but he's so brilliant as Cap. I just can't imagine anybody else at this point as Cap. Look at everyone's reaction when Michael Keaton was uh, mm-hmm. cast as, as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. And now they're all having nerdgasms that he's going to be in uh, the Flash <laughs> movie. So, you know, they didn't want him at first and now they can't wait till he comes back. That I think there's, there's a real talent to being a casting director. You know, you must be able to see things in these actors that nobody else the average person is is unable to to see because yeah you think of some of these castings where the fan reaction is just through the roof like no way this is never going to work and now we're all like oh i love him so much so i mean mean, to bring out the performance that they want to tell the story i mean there's Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of elements that go into it um let me ask you guys uh, kind of jumping around here a little uh, before uh, the Captain America movie, did you have an idea of who would have played a good Cap, an actor? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, you would go back to all like the muscle-bound action heroes, but none of them would really capture his personality. I mean, they all yeah. look good in a suit, but... I always thought the guy, and I can't think of the actor's name now, um, he was in Mad Men. Um, oh, John Hamm? John Hamm. I thought he would have played a great Captain America. Debonair... You know, handsome, older, you know, and then they got the little pretty boy from Fantastic Four. I was all up in arms. 
But like you guys, now I can't picture anyone else playing Steve Rogers. I mean, he did such a good job with it. Mm-hmm. The, the earnestness, the sincerity, and everything right. that he brings to that role. Well, and look at the Bruce Banner character. How many people played Bruce Banner in, in his solo films over at Universal before, um, I don't know, Feige had something to do with it, but Mark Ruffalo, you know, came on to play Hulk in the in the first Avengers film. You know, he's good, but I could that's one where I could almost see a recast because I guess I don't feel like uh, he necessarily fits my vision of Bruce Banner, but I think he does a good job. Well, was did Ed Norton fit it better? No, cuz Ed, Ed Norton to me always feels like a, a weasel kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> so your perfect casting was Bill Bixby then. I do I like know. Bixby actually, but I, I like Mark Ruffalo. You know. Yeah, I don't know. From reading the comics, I always feel like Banner is a little bit of a jerk, but not in the way that like uh, Stark is, a, a, you know, a willful jerk. I just feel like Banner is a little bit of that kind of. Um, uh, what do you call it? The, the, he's like a scientist who's not, you know, he's just not like his, Soci- his head's in the clouds. What's that? Maybe socially awkward. Yeah, but you know, he's he's yeah, he's just sort of not uh, not really paying attention to everyone else. Um, so. I, don't know. I, I like Mark Ruffalo. I, I thought the dynamic that he had with uh, Robert Downey Jr. as, uh, as mm-hmm. Tony Stark in the first Avenger film, they worked really well off of each other. Yeah, they do. They do. Although, I don't know, correct um, me if I'm wrong, but Ruffalo seems like he's aging faster than the other actors. I think he went into it aged and they just used a lot of makeup. And- <laughs> <laughs> it could be, but I mean, he's been looking kind of kind of old in the last couple appearances. Hmm. It's all those gamma rays. <laughs> they had they compromised and made him the smart Hulk, but supposedly he's back to Banner now. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see uh, what what they end up doing with that. Um, I guess we'll learn more in what She Hulk, right? He's supposed to be in that. Mm-hmm. I believe She Hulk. Um, who knows who may show up in the next Spider Man film too? Though I mean, you know, then Nicholas we got Hammond. Ant-Man I'm telling you, next year. What's that, Bob? Nicholas Hammond. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm going to start an online petition, although it's probably too late now. It's coming out in a, less than a month, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, and look, after what happened in Loki, who knows who's going to come on and play what character when? Well, they could go back and like shoot a post-credit scene with Nicholas Hammond, where he kind of yeah. swings in with his big web shooter on his arm and his white utility <laughs> belt. I was thinking maybe he would just show up and he would be Peter's dad. He hadn't really died. Or maybe an older clone from another universe. And oh, let's not get into the clones. <laughs> the last thing Marvel needs to do is the clone saga. So <laughs> let's keep out of that. I don't know. You get past the Sinister Six, and then what's left? Clones. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. That's let's, actually let's when do... I, that's actually when I stopped reading comic books. Was right after the whole clone saga. Mm. It was like the Clone Saga, and then they decided to reboot Amazing Spider-Man back to number one, and I'm like, okay, that's a good that's a good out for me. I'll tell you, one of my concerns with the next Spider-Man movie is what got me out of the books was um, when he went to Memphisto and says, I don't want the world to know I'm Peter Parker anymore. And they just, you know, <laughs> wiped out it. And it, 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 it made no sense to me. And then they came up with like, you know, everyone's a Hulk now, so they got the Hulk squad. They had a Thor squad. They had young Avengers, and I don't know. I just... Uh, too much to keep track of? Too many... My mind was swimming. Too many changes, major changes. I mean, a Thor core and a Hulk squad? Come on. Was it? Isn't Beta Ray Bill supposed to be in the next uh, Thor movie, Love and Thunder? I haven't heard that. Is that what you heard, Bob? I think so. Who? In fact, no, I, in I love Beta, Beta Ray, Ray Bill. Bill. Oh, I hadn't heard that he was going to be in it. And then yeah, uh, he made the cameo in uh, Ragnarok. Up on the tower? Yeah, his head, his sculpture yeah. of his head was up on the tower. Right. Well, well let's, let's, uh, let's get back to the existing universe. The existing, oh yes, that's right, what we're thankful for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well so, then, uh, quick round robin, what was your favorite MCU movie? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> I, I know what mine is. Well. I can answer. 
Go ahead. All right, Karen I, goes I, first. I agree with you on that. That is my favorite. But yeah, actually, go ahead, Karen. Yeah. So my my favorite still the the champion and still champion is Captain America: The Winter Soldier. That's yeah. still my my absolute favorite. It's just I think it just has the perfect combination of like. The story, the characters, the the whole production, the way it's put together, like it just it it there's never a dull moment. It's always the story is a really good story. It has a, a good character arc for Cap. You know, it brings in just enough supporting characters that it doesn't start to feel like a freaking overstuffed burrito like Infinity War or something like that. It's it's you know a nice little tasty uh, morsel without too many characters and uh you know it tells a good story it has a nice it has a interesting plot behind it something that has a little bit of you know moral um meaning for our times but it you know it's also an exciting action story and it's not like super like out in space i mean i like the space stuff but the stuff that's always more effective is the stuff that like you could imagine really happening and this stuff is just a level above that. You know, it's still guys punching each other or shooting at each other. So, um, yeah, I that's my absolute favorite. Well, I, and I echo Karen. That That is my favorite. I, a close second, and, you know, for a while teeter-tottered between the two, is the first Iron Man. It's mm-hmm. a good I, one. I think it, it is just so well made. I mean... The, 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 just think about this. The very fact that you, you have Tony Stark come out in that Iron Man one suit and they play Iron Man by Black Sabbath. I, I just uh, lost it at that point. <laughs> you know, he's got the little flare and the little missile in the fire. And, you know, Black Sabbath is playing. That was just perfect to me. Um, you know, the story with Yusuf and, you know, um, Tony figuring out that, you know, there's more to life than just what he was living and what he was doing and carrying on what, you know, dad did as a weapons dealer, basically. And, um, you know, the Shakespearean uh, tragedy of of his friend Obadiah, his confidant, his, you know, uh, second in command, if you will, being a traitor like, you know, Julius Caesar and Brutus, you know, to Brute. Um, Yeah, I I, it's between those two films. I I I lean more towards Winter Soldier, though, because like Karen said, it it was just such a well-rounded story. There there was a lot of action. There was a lot of different stories going on with what happened with Nick Fury and what happened, you know, with with. uh, Oh, God, I can't think of his name now. Um, Robert Redford's character. Yeah, Robert Redford's character. um, Stone. Gosh, I've seen it so many times and I can't remember his name. Dang. Yeah. But, uh, Bob, what's your, uh, well, I mean, I would put Winter Soldier up there, but, um, I also liked the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I thought the characters, the humor, the music, everything worked. Yeah. There wasn't really any awkward parts. And plus, like, I always complain that, oh, space is just black with a bunch of white dots. Well, not in Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, space is like just a <laughs> vast, you know, palette of colors and swirls and planets, and it's amazing. And then probably a close second to that would maybe be the original Avenger, the first Avengers movie, just because it was kind of pure. And it was mm-hmm. like, okay, here's all the superheroes coming together. Now, when I say all the superheroes, I don't mean like 50. I mean the core <laughs> that were in the movies up to that point. Right. And and again, you know, Marvel didn't rush it like DC. They took their time. They made all these individual movies and they built up and you knew the characters and then boom, they're all together in this one big movie. And of course, the Avengers movies kind of got bigger as they went on. But just for the, oh, yeah. the pure adrenaline and the first time you see all these characters interacting, I thought it was great. Uh, it was very, very cool. Um Karen, do you have an honorable mention or a close second favorite that, you know, teeters towards one or mm-hmm. honorable mention? I do. I do like Iron Man an awful lot. That's another one of those movies. If if it's on, if I turn on the TV and it's on, I'm going to stop and and watch it. This is that's a you know one of those ways that I'll rate like how much do I enjoy a film if if I turn it you know 
some smart ass on Twitter. I said something the other day about, you know, oh, Star Wars was on TNT. I, I had to stop and what I was doing. I was like, who has cable anymore? It's on streaming, damn it. You can stream <laughs> TNT. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I had to get that out of my you system. young but, whippersnapper. Uh, these kids, let me tell you. Um, get off my lawn while you're at it, kid. Right. Where did I put my teeth? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I got I, to say, though, and it's going to take time to kind of sink in and and gel with all the other movies and see where things go. But I really liked Shang-Chi. Now, whether that's going to gravitate to one of my favorites, I don't know. But I think it's a candidate to do that. Yeah, I, I liked it, too. It was more than what I expected. Uh, you know, you try to go into these movies with little or no expectations. And I, I always thought of him as a street-level hero, Daredevil, um, Jessica Jones, uh, Luke Cage, you know, and um, and they, they just embraced, you know, what his potential was and, and ran with it. And it was it was great. I, I thought it was a good entry. Yeah, I'd have to see it again. I only saw it the one time mm. in the theater. It was, it was enjoyable. I liked it. But now we're getting to the point with 20-some films. It's a little harder. You know, there's some I've seen so many times that I have a strong feeling about. I think Civil War is one of those that I really enjoy quite a bit now. Um, whereas when I first heard about it, I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled with the premise. Mm. Um, but then, then watching it, I really enjoyed it. And uh, even though it's hard to take because it's like the Empire Strikes Back film for the MCU where everything gets torn apart. Right. But uh, that's another one I think I, I would put up there. Um, but, yeah, it's it's getting harder and harder because, yeah, some of these films I may have now seen, you know, a dozen times. And then others like Shang-Chi I've seen once, Black Widow I've seen twice now so you know i'll i'll say this with with shang chi uh, marvel is kind of doing like what what they're doing with the star wars property they're trying to retcon some of the stuff and i remember when iron man 2 came out and they were talking about the mandarin and they had ben kingsley play uh the mandarin and in shang chi that was three right it was three Two was and two was Whiplash, deep. which I was also very kind of disappointed with. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of like the arrogance that he had and, you know, some of the banter that went back. And, and that's the thing is that, like Karen said, with all these movies, it gets to the point where I don't know that I have like a one, two, three, four, five favorite movie. It gets to the point that there's so many movies that there are scenes that I like in, in certain movies, like <laughs> the Hulkbuster in Avengers 2. I love that. You know, if, if that's on cable for those of you that still have it um i'll watch that um, and it, for me it's almost like whatever marvel movie i go see up to the latest one that i saw that movie was my favorite marvel movie because it was so fresh in my mind there was so much wit banter um you know the the scene with uh, ben kingsley and he's like i knew i wanted to be an actor when i saw those bloody apes acting in the cinema and planted an ape and they're looking at him like freaking idiot <laughs> those were actors with makeup but uh, you know um when dr strange first came out i've been brilliant i love the way that they played that you know character and and stuff um so i don't know it, it for me it gets to the point where like well what did i really like in black panther i mean i love the movie but you know there are key moments key scenes sometimes not necessarily action it could be um a dialogue between two characters that you remember a similar dialogue happening in the comic book so there's a bit of nostalgia when we watch the or when i watch these movies as well because i'm like i remember that story you know, and then they tweak it a little to, you know, make it more part of the MCU. But I remember, you know, loving that interaction. I mean, first time I heard they were going to bring Hulkbuster to the to the cinema, uh, to the cinematic universe. I was like, oh, my God, that's going to be like awesome. Well, that's the key, awesome. too, because with all these movies, unlike some of their predecessors, you're not really usually disappointed in the fight scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're all over the top and just crazy. And although, you know, some of the fight scenes that I've enjoyed a lot lately was the episode of What If, where Thor and Captain Marvel square off. Because mm. that's like, you know, 
she'll punch him and he goes flying like through buildings, through mountains, like miles. And then he comes back and smacks her. Same thing. I was just so over the top, like the old, like, you know, like Popeye cartoons or something. But yeah, I was just. <laughs> it was just really enjoyable. It was almost like this big, long, drag-out fight. Yeah, I I, I really appreciated and, and loved that uh, What If series that was playing on Disney+. Plus. And as we're, as we're recording this, and this uh, episode will come out around Thanksgiving time on the 22nd, Disney Plus announced that they're going to have several of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films in IMAX format. So when you stream these movies over on Disney Plus, of course, everybody owns the Blu-rays, DVDs, streaming, uh, digital copies. But Disney will be having these in IMAX. So it'll fill your screen in more is what they were saying. Yeah, don't don't watch them on your iPhone. Just make sure you have a nice screen to watch. That just kills me. People watching some of these films on teeny tiny screens. It's like... Well, I'll tell you, one of the reasons I bought an iPad, and it's an iPad Pro something, it's not godly, but um, we were going to do some international travel, uh, Lieutenant Jasmine and I, for our honeymoon back a couple years ago. And I wanted to watch the Avengers film because I had the digital copy and I didn't want to watch it on my phone. Oh, sure. Uh, Travel is different. Yeah, and you didn't want to bring your laptop and stuff, but I, I didn't even turn on my uh, my iPad, and uh, some some gentleman uh, in the row ahead of where we were, you know, we were getting situated and getting our luggage in there, and he was watching um, that part in Avengers where uh, uh, Steve Rogers is basically getting his ass kicked, and the shield smashed, and he's got the hammer in one hand, and you know Thanos's hordes are you know running towards him, and you know he's I, I could do this all day, and the guy had headphones, and I but. I know the dialogue. I know the music. I know the sound of Mjolnir. I know the sound of... And as I'm sitting there, you know, while Jazz is getting her herself situated, a tear comes out of my left eye <laughs> when Sam says, on your right, Cap. And, like, and Cap's like, Sam, is that you? And Jazz is like, how many times have you seen that movie? And you can't even hear it. And you're crying. And I'm like, will you just leave me in my, like, moment, please? please respect my moment, please? <laughs> And look, I'm, I'm going to kind of jump the gun because we're, we're going all around here. Eternals has the distinction of being the first movie in the MCU that I did not shed a tear. So what does that say about it? Your mission commander is not a big fan of the Eternals movie is what that says. <laughs> you know, I, I was I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was well, good. Let, let's preface But then again, let's preface, preface that with the fact that I attempted to watch Dune the night before. <laughs> And only made it about an hour in before my mind was so numbingly bored I had to turn the thing off. So so after that, it's like, oh, wow, Eternals was great. <laughs> Comparatively speaking, yeah, it was a masterpiece. Well, I, I don't want to go too negative on the podcast. I have mixed feelings about Eternals. I think if it was a non-MCU movie just a science fiction movie, I think it would be pretty interesting. Um, But as an MCU movie, it just moved everything into a scale that I I don't know what they're going to do with. They basically introduced, well, spoilers. Um, I mean, they basically introduced God as a character. I mean, Arisham, they said, created the universe. So they introduced God and they've got people interacting with God and then they've got people revolting against God's plan. It's kind of like, you really want to like move your stories into that sort of scale because it starts to move them further and further away from a human scale and and a personal level of stakes to this stakes that is harder to relate to. And I, I don't know. I, I think it's some interesting concepts and some of the characters were mildly interesting, but it it's I, I don't know. I'll wait to see where they're going with it. Well, I mean, they do all that in the comics, but then they still have stories that are grounded and happen, you know, with Daredevil in an alleyway or whatever. It doesn't yeah. mean that all the movies have to be cosmic at this point. Yeah, and I guess part of my problem with it is the Celestials weren't – and granted, I, I – 
am not a fan or I'm not that familiar with the Eternals comic books. I, I know of some of the characters and certainly I know about the Celestials, but the Celestials, uh, excuse me, the Celestials did not create the universe. Well, and I don't know what's been retconned since I so, stopped reading 10 years ago or so, but like in the original <laughs> Eternals comics, you know, they came to Earth, there was life already on Earth, and they mutated the early humans into three strains, which was our modern humans, deviants, and the Eternals. And then there were four hosts of Celestials that came back to Earth to judge mankind's development and either give them the thumbs up or the thumbs down. <laughs> and so the first three hosts, each time they came back to see how mankind was doing, gave the thumbs up. And then in 19... 76 or whatever, whenever Jack Kirby did the Eternal series, that was when the fourth host had, was, you know, on Earth and Arisham was like standing, waiting to do thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, so it was more about evolving mankind and, you know, were they pleased with how we had evolved or not pleased? So it was, yeah, it was different than like creating the universe. It was more about manipulating our evolution. Well, see, well, I don't I, know, I, I, maybe I miss, maybe I missed that part because I didn't really get the part where he created the universe. What I got was that the evolution that they they were kind of forcing on Earth to get it to the certain point where a new celestial was would be born and Earth would be destroyed, or whatever. That they had been doing that from planet to planet, but I don't know if they necessarily created anything other than the Eternals that were supposedly some kind of cosmic cyborgs or whatever. It almost well, big... sounded like a Galactus story to me because it was the the life force of the inhabitants of the planet mm -hmm. that kind of fed the development and birth. But, and so they were trying to de defeat the deviants or hold the deviants at bay so that earth could overpopulate and hatch the new yeah. celestial. They, they said at the beginning that Arisham had been there before it, the create that he was responsible for the creation of the universe essentially like he had been there before the big bang before the, um, which galactus was there before the big bang he was yeah the old universe but right so that it is weird to me like i feel like maybe they're setting up a confrontation between the celestials and galactus potentially uh, but you're you're right, Larry. It does sound like how Galactus feeds on planets. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get our answers once Fantastic Four shows up or yeah. something. Well, I, I should go see the film a second time because um, there's a lot going on. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, with all the characters involved as well. And, you know, some you love, some you hate. And then, you, you know, you're trying to figure out, well, wait, is that person a good guy or a, or a bad guy? Like Selma Hayek's character. I'm, I'm still kind of confused on, you know, was she benevolent and good or, did, you know, because she knew what was going on, but she didn't tell anyone. Well, she told the one guy. So I don't know. I... I need to go in and take notes on this one. This is a big movie, I guess. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting, the twist they had with Icarus. Were, yeah. You know, but um, yeah, it's definitely a different type of movie, and some people are going to like it, and some people are going to hate it, and, you know, we'll see what happens. But it, it'll be interesting to see how it fits into the... The Marvel Universe as things move along. And let me ask you guys this. What did you think of the post-credits scenes for Eternals? Well, it was fun to see um, Star Fox and uh, Pip the Troll. <laughs> and then, yeah, that was and then, yeah, fun, the, actually. The beginnings of the Black Knight, I guess. Right. And you know who the disembodied voice was? Asking if he's ready for that. Blade. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't think of the actor's name. But they, Blade they as well. Marshall Ali. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny because I thought that was him in the theater, but then I thought, well, why would he be involved with the Black Knight? But then, yeah, I saw it on uh, one of the feeds that it was him. So wow. it'll be interesting how they pull him into uh, the MCU, whether it be Avengers or maybe he'll be working with some of the supernatural characters. <laughs> 
We'll see. It, it, um, you know, with with Disney now utilizing the the Disney Plus um, option as well as uh, the cinematic, um, you know, movies. You know, it, it's they're all over the place now. So who knows who's going to show up where next? <laughs> well, I don't know. Do you yeah. think? Do you think maybe they're introducing characters a little too fast at this point? No, I I think Guardians is getting ready to finish Thor. Thor got a fourth movie, so go figure. I don't know if Tom Holland's going to continue in a solo Spider-Man films. Ant-Man and Wasp are coming up on there. Typically, you see a three-movie deal for these things, right? And then one or two cameos and other uh, properties. So I think there's um, a couple of their movies that are going to be, you know, um, ending. And so they're they're trying to bring the next generation of these heroes and or adventures. I mean, Guardian's going to finish, like I said, their third movie. So maybe the Eternals are meant to carry on that galactic story with Captain Marvel. I don't know. I really, yeah, I don't know how that's going to work out. But I mean, if that was the case, and you'd think they'd kind of start ushering in the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. Fantastic Four are, are coming. Um, I think Feige's alluded to that. Uh, X-Men, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. Walker, have you heard anything about? I haven't seen any dates for there's X-Men. All, there's always I mean, like rumors of like doing the whole Hulk versus Wolverine thing, but I haven't heard anything about the full group. I mean, the last thing I heard was a potential Planet Hulk. So they're talking about another solo Hulk movie. Because yeah. um, I guess historically the, the Hulk movies didn't do that well. Uh, well, yeah. And Universal had the rights for a solo Hulk film, but the rumor is now that it's back to Marvel. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, I think, they're, I I think they're doing like a Sony Marvel deal with Universal. It would make sense. So they could right, do yeah. a movie, but... I, I'd pay good money to see that uh, abomination from Shang-Chi go up against the Hulk. That is my abomination when I was a kid, that look. So that would be cool. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see a Fantastic Four movie until probably 2024 or later, because I don't think it's on their their slate at this point. I haven't Um, seen it either. Yeah. Let me ask you the guys this. They introduced the Fantastic Four. Should it be a period piece or should you, should they just throw them into the MCU as is or in current time, I should say? Well, I mean, they got the multiverse going, so they could just pop them in. They're from another universe. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen a period piece years ago, like have them be start out in the 60s. Oh, that, that's yeah. where I am. I, I would love that. But and and I guess they could do it conceivably. They could have started in the sixties and then gotten lost in another, you know, timeline, dimension, whatever, and then come back. That would be kind of interesting because they would be, you know, the fish out of water kind of story. But um, I don't know that they'll do it. I think it'll be more. They'll be probably be more modern. Like Bob was saying, yeah, with the multiverse and stuff. Who knows? Because yeah. To me, Reed was always, you know, the elder statesman of the of, of the Marvel comics. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just I hope they don't bring him in as like, you know, this 21 year old, oh, um, you know, founder yeah. of Meta uh, type boy genius. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it scares me. Some of the some of the tweets that you read, you know, right now, the thing is uh, they sh- have the Spider-Man poster. And I can't tell if it's if it's the real theatrical poster or not. And they got Doc Ox uh, tentacles and Spider-Man up on a car. And then in the back in the smoke is a little green guy goblin floating around and i'm like okay i don't know is it going to be harry osborne are they bringing uh, what's his bucket back i i think willem dafoe is coming back you yeah. think willem dafoe that so they'd bring back norman or uh yeah norman, yeah, Os- Norm- norman? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know and then there's you know all these rumors about the next black panther film after the oh. unfortunate you know uh we lost uh Chadwick Boseman. Um, they're not going to recast the T'Challa character. So how they're going to deal with that in the movie and who will ultimately take up the mantle. Uh, um, the way the Marvel Universe is going right now, probably Surrey. You know, I would think. Go ahead, Walker. That would make sense, but there's some really weird rumors going around that she either doesn't want to do it or she said she would only do it for one film. The actress... Mm. 
So, yeah, I I don't know. I Personally, I would like them to recast it. I, I think the T'Challa character is just too important a character in the Marvel Universe. Um, there's too many good stories to tell with him still. I'd, I'd like to see them just recast it. And, I mean, obviously, Chadwick Boseman was a great Black Panther, but he's he's passed. And so, I mean, know, the same argument do? could be made about Steve Rogers. They should recast Steve Rogers and... Well, the circumstances are different. We're talking about uh, story uh, changes versus an actor's passing, right? You know, they've decided to have Steve grow old. They decided to kill off Tony, whereas, you know, unfortunately, Chadwick was ill and and passed. So. Oh, but my friend, that's only on Earth 313. (laughs) Well, you know, it would be nice if we could bring people from other Earths in in reality, but... According to Loki and uh, what's his self-girlfriend, we can now because of the timeline being all fractured. But that is a tale for another time. Yeah. Perhaps. All right. Anything else we're thankful for? Oh, just thankful for the whole shebang. What's that, Chief? Just thankful for the whole shebang. The whole shebang. It's quite a Sheboygan. I'm thankful that we haven't had Dazzler so far in the Marvel <laughs> universe. Let me, let me think of, of some others. Uh, Rumor is she's coming. I'm sure she will. She actually was in one of the X-Men films briefly. She was. I think it was the the one with... Maybe it was a little Dark Phoenix. I remember watching that one night being stunned. Is that a club? Let me ask you guys this before we, we tie this uh, into our uh, censor sweep. If, if they could introduce a character into the MCU, who would you like them to see bring into the MCU? Oh, gosh. Nova. Ooh, that's a good one. I, be, I was like really hoping for Nova in the first Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And any other movie. But, no, yeah, I always wanted to see Nova. How, how the, would the you Rich Rider Nova. What's that? No, he's talking about the Richard Rider Nova. Yeah, the original, uh, original uh, Nova. Sorry, I was thinking about the uh, Frankie Ray Nova. Well, that would be cool. Walker? Well, the, you know, one of my favorite characters has always been Adam Warlock. And they're going to bring him into Guardians 3, but he's going to be in a totally effed up version. So I'm not real excited about that. <laughs> I mean, his whole story was was uh, interconnected with Thanos and Thanos is gone. And so it's it's not going to be all the Guardian characters are really weird versions of the comics characters. They don't have a lot to do with the comics characters. So, so yeah, that should very say. popular characters though, in the cinematic universe. Yeah, they're so, all, you know, they're all goofballs. I mean, I, it's funny. I did watch, I've, I've kind of had a lesser cons- consideration for the guardians movies. And I did. So I forced myself, I rewatched both of them this weekend and I enjoyed them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's I just have to like turn off my critical brain when I watch them so I don't sit there and go, you know, Drax should never talk like that or Mantis is not an idiot or, you know, whatever. I have to just like say these characters are not really based on the comic characters. Just don't think about it that way and just enjoy it as like a comedy. So I when I do that, then I can enjoy it a lot more. Um, I guess the character I'm really looking forward to is probably uh, Silver Surfer. If they can actually do Silver Surfer justice, that would be nice. That would be cool. Uh, um, what about you? You know, I uh, tying in with the Silver Surfer, I would love to see a Galactus story. Um, if it's done well. Not a big cloud. Yeah, not a big cloud. <laughs> and uh, and here, here I thought you were uh, going to say Millie the model. <laughs> I want to see a Fin Fang Foom movie. I was very <laughs> disappointed go. Fin Fang Foom was not in Shang-Chi. A lot of people were thinking, oh, there's a dragon. Is it? No, it's not. Wearing shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I remember talking to Karen, deep disappointment that she had with Iron Man 3. And then the whole plan, she came out here, we were going to watch it like three or four times over the weekend. Oh, yeah. We saw it once and that was it. And it's interesting, I, I didn't know you had that feeling about Guardians because when Guardians came out, we were like, oh, what's this going to be about? I don't know. I went to go see it and Karen's like, you know, and I always remember this statement. 
I firmly believe that Marvel could make a movie about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And and it would just be, you know, they, they can't make a bad movie. Well, yeah, because the public accepted a film where a talking raccoon and a tree were like two of the main characters and people loved it. So it, it, once they did that, it was like they could do anything, basically. Well, and, and it, it's a comic book movie. So in my mind, it's not like... Um, Schindler's List, where if Schindler's List had like a transformer in the garage that would transform and help him save. That to me would be like, well, that's kind of weird. I, but it's a comic book movie. So as a comic book movie, couldn't they have a talking raccoon? But and I don't think people, even when they look at like comic book movies, I think they're expecting people in costumes to run around and like shoot laser beams and hit each other. I don't think they're expecting to see what looks like cartoon characters, like a raccoon coon and a tree running around you know but they went there they just went full force for it you know they didn't pull any punches with it and they were successful so they I can agree. do whatever they want it's one of their one of their most popular so popular that they made a ride right you know so um anyway well i mean the other thing i'd say about the marvel movies too though is not everyone is dressed in black yeah mm -hmm. they've they actually the you know allowed like, the characters to look like they sh they're supposed to look. I mean, yes, right. they make some changes in the uniforms and stuff, but yeah, I mean, Cap, man, that's Cap. Yeah. Right. Iron Man, red and gold, and there he goes. You know, it's not like a black stealth suit or something. Right. Yeah. Spidey's yeah. red and blue and what have you. But well, let me let me ask you guys this: as far as before we go into the censor sweep, Spider Man. Should his webs be organic from his body, or should he have web no. shooters? Web shooters. What? Web shooters. Web shooters. Not a fan <laughs> of the Tobey Maguire organic webs, huh? Well, no, that's the whole thing about Peter Parker, though, is, you know, he was a smart kid. He was innovative and he invented his web shooters. Right. But again, that's one of the little tweaks that they do in the MCU. Well, there's, you know, little uh, tweaks and sometimes larger tweaks. That wasn't anyway, a tweak, though. That was Sony. Was, there you go. That was Sony. Tom Holland had to make his own web shooters. Okay. And that, that's our story. We're sticking to it. Oh, and this is the thing. Like, getting to the back about that, like, the costumes and stuff. The MCU didn't shy away from the comic book origins. They they kept the costumes mostly intact. You know, they kept the character origins mostly intact. They said, you know, these are comic book characters, and they, they put them out there. And if, if they were a raccoon, by God, they were going to be a raccoon, you know? And that's, <laughs> that's what it was, and it, you know, it succeeded. So, hey... They they did a good job indeed because I did fall in love with the raccoon that summer. And that's that's the thing. Like, you know, as they, much as it's all spectacle and stuff, they had those personal stories. And when I rewatched Guardians and Guardians 2, you realize, like, Rocket is really hurting inside. He is an asshole, but he's actually very – he's really hurting inside. He's lonely and scared, and they get that across. And each of those characters tends to get at least a one or more moments like that in the movie. This is going to sound weird, but it kind of gave me some understanding in my relationship with my father because my father could be a real ass. And I and it made me think, was he hurting? Was, you know, what was it that mm -hmm. he we, we had some conversations before he passed away that were very insightful in, into what he thought of me. And now he, he never told me he was proud of me. But, you know, before he passed, he was telling me all these great things. You know, I was a better man than he ever was and stuff. And I'm like, oh, don't say that, Dad, you know, Um but anyway, um, that that's one of the beauty, I think, of the MCU is that there are so many characters and opportunities where we can kind of look at relationships that we have with our friends or with our family or maybe they're not here anymore. And, and we have that, you know, um, thought or that feeling that mirrors, you know, Cap and Bucky's relationship or maybe it was Star-Lord's relationship with uh, Mary Poppins. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, so um, th they are very wise storytellers um even in even in the tv shows i mean there was a line in wandavision you know where uh, vision was questioning or wanda was like you know but it hurts and he's like well what is love except you know accepting pain i can't think of what the line was but very insightful characters very good dialogue great music too we didn't really talk about the the soundtracks a lot but i'll, I'll throw on you know captain america soundtrack any day of the week 
Um, you know, kids, the truth being, we could we could really go into this a lot more. I, I wanted to talk about Ant-Man. I, I'm sure Karen wanted to talk about the Loki series. That was one of her favorite series on Disney+. Plus. What? Uh, Bob, <laughs> we already talked about that. Bob wanted to talk about. No, just kidding. Um, Larry but, wanted to bring Batman versus Superman into the thing. <laughs> well, we we can go there too. If you okay, want. boys, let's not start. Let's we're having a good evening. Come on. Um, we're at that point in the podcast where we're going to segue into our censor sweep. This episode's censor sweep is brought to you by. Chief Engineer Bob. Bob, take it away. Okay, I'm doing my censor sweep this episode on a book that's coming out on November 22nd, the same day as this podcast. So you don't have to wait for it. You don't have to search for it. It's available anywhere finer books are sold. And uh, it's from a longtime friend of mine, Norman England, and it's called Behind the Kaiju Curtain. A journey onto Japan's biggest film sets. Rather than just a dry behind the scenes making of book, this is more of Norman's personal journey onto the sets of such films as Gamera 3, Godzilla 2000, Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, and uh, Godzilla Mothra King Ghidra Giant Monsters All Out Attack. And uh, Norman was basically. Uh, living in Japan at the time, in fact, he still is, and uh, he was writing for Fangoria and uh, doing some photography, and he was able to get on these sets in a uh, official capacity, and once he was on the sets, then anything goes, and uh, he'll take you kind of on a behind-the-scenes look at the actors, the uh, crew, the special effects people, the directors, a lot of whom he became good friends with. So he got uh, access to these sets more than any other Western person could have. And uh, basically, he will take you on the set. Uh, he even got to wear the GMK Godzilla suit and stomp around Toho for a bit. So you'll learn all about what it's like to sweat inside a big rubber monster costume. And uh, just... A lot of great anecdotes on uh, on the films. He got to uh, be in a couple in little cameo roles. In fact, uh, if you watch uh, Godzilla Tokyo SOS at the beginning, there's one guy whose line is, cruise missiles, and that's Norman. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of fans that have gotten into, like, Scenes where they're running away from the camera, running towards the camera, running away from Godzilla. But uh, Norman got got in a little more than that. So uh, definitely check out the book. It's from Hawaii Press. And uh, you can get it from Amazon. You can get it from you know probably Barnes & Noble and any other uh, places, like I say, where fine, fine books are sold. We'll have uh, some links in the show notes. Uh, he also did like a one-hour interview as part of the Kaiju Master Class, which was a few weeks ago. Uh, Ed Godzeski interviewed him for about an hour. So we'll try to get that link in the show notes as well if you want to know even more. Thinking back, I know uh, when Ed Godzeski and I were at G-Fest back in 1999, I believe, uh, they had just shown the premiere of Gamera 3, which is one of the films that uh, Norman was on the set for. And the director, Shusuke Kaneko, was there in attendance. So Ed and I were able to kind of hang out with him in the hotel lobby and uh, talk a little bit about movies and things. Um, you'll see a lot of Kaneko stuff in this. But uh, we somehow got on the subject of Bond films and uh, the budgets that they have. And Ed was pointing out, well, you know, a lot of those budgets are a lot of wasted money because basically, you know, there's catering trucks and, you know, things that the actors need and all the things that are spent, you know, wasted money that's not up on the screen. And so Kaneko kind of like got quiet for a minute, looked away and then said, I would like to waste money. And uh, yeah, you would not waste money going for this book. It's like $25 
And uh, one of those few books that we do a censor sweep on here where you don't have to go searching for it and pay like $500 on eBay for one. So uh, get out there, get the book, and, uh, and enjoy a very intimate look at the Japanese film industry. Cool. All right, my friends. It was a, a great discussion. Um, let's see what we'll be thankful for next year. But uh, until then, please have a safe Thanksgiving. Enjoy uh, your friends and your families. And until we meet again, be sure to follow us on our planet8podcast.com uh, over on our YouTube, uh, YouTube uh, backslash planet8. Uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and until we meet again, peace out. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I am Iron Man.